So ask yourself this question. If you were bringing someone to Cork, where's the first place you would send them to show off the city's finest? Chances are the location we visit on this week's episode will be towards the top, if not at the top, of the list. Because it brings together history, families and most importantly, food. I'm Jonathan Healy and this is Red Business. Red Business Podcast with CompuB, building your business with premium Apple solutions. CompuB.com. And you're very welcome to this special edition of Red Business. We are in Cork's premier indoor market because it's the only one that we have, but what a market it is, the English market. In here on a lovely summer's day, the sun is shining through, I'm sitting on the fountain uh, with Orla Lannan, who is the general manager here at the English market. Orla, how are you? Hi, Jonathan, you're very welcome. Great to see the market so busy. Is it ever not busy? Mm, it's busy all the time, um, most of the time, especially this time of the year. Um, I suppose, especially with the sun shining as well, which is brilliant. Um, it's, it's, it just seems to increase footfall. More and more people come into town. I suppose, you know, tourist numbers are up as well. Um, but as you can see, the buzz around the place today. What is it about the market? I mean, first of all, how long have you been here? dealing with all the things that go on in this particular place? Um, I'm almost five years here now on a full-time basis. Um, it's, I have to say I love it. It's a very, like, the market is so unique. Um, my, my background would be hotel management and retail management. Um, but this is like, obviously, with a mix of everything. But I think here is so unique because you have your traders, like 46 traders. Um, you know, when you're dealing with them on a, on a, on a one-to-one basis every day. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of, the difference between here and say a shopping centre is, you know, even the banter and the crack as well. You know, I mean, we all have our own serious work to do and we have a lot to do in here, but um, I think it's the traders that make it so different and so unique. You would have come here as a child and as a teenager and then as an adult. Wait, what were your memories of the market when you were younger? Well, actually, I actually grew up, I'm, I'm actually from Skull in West Cork and I'm a farmer's daughter. Did you ever even make it as far as the city? Um, we kind of made it to Wilton, <laughs> um, coming up from Skull, but um, I do remember coming into the market, though, in my younger days, and remember going, oh, how am I going to find my way out of here? It just looked huge in my eyes, um, and there were so many different entrances. Wasn't sure of Cork City streets, so wasn't sure which way I was going to be going, so I literally was hanging on to whoever was with me at the time. Um, but I was always amazed with um, the, I remember always the, the butchers and the fish stalls used to stand out all the time to me. And it is still that way today, but we're going to go and meet somebody who doesn't fall into the traditional bracket to begin with. Tell me who we're going to meet. We're going to meet Conor McNamara from the sushi stall. Okay, let's go around and meet him. The Red Business Podcast with CompuB Business. Improving productivity with the latest Apple technology. CompuB.com Conor McNamara, you're the man behind Mackie Sushi Rolls and you're the baby of the group, are you? I'm the baby of the market. I'm the newest stall in here. Yes, that's correct. And how does that title rest on your shoulders? It's fine, it's fine. Yeah, I'm kind of getting used to it. Um, It's funny, my grandparents had a stall in here um, in the 1970s and they sold it up but I had four generations of McNamara's in here. So it's very strange how I ended up here selling sushi, you know. And what did they sell when the McNamara's were here before? They were butchers, so they sold meat and stuff. So very traditional for the market. Now, you're not so traditional with sushi. Where did you get the idea that the people of Cork might want to have a little bit of uh, rice and fish wrapped in a leaf? So, 
I lived in Australia for three years, a number of years ago, and I pretty much ate sushi every day over there. I fell in love with it. And when I moved back to Ireland, um, I thought there was a, a business idea to set up. And what, yeah, so there, was there anyone doing sushi at the time? So I was actually working as a carpenter in Australia, and I, when I came home, I, I, I I'm struggling to see the leap here now from carpentry to sushi maker. But go on, you're you're going to tell me all about. It. It's a bit of a leap, all right, yeah, but it, it's amazing how it all happened. I was living in Galway actually when I moved home, and there was no work for carpenters, so I had to think of something to do as a career, and I got a job in a Japanese restaurant, and I worked there for three years, and I learned how to make sushi. And from there, the idea just blossomed and eventually moved down to Cork with family down here. And I just kept saving, doing uh, cooking courses, learning more about sushi. I went to London. I had an interview with a sushi guy over there. And I eventually just got lucky and I ended up here. And it, it is something that we didn't have in the market before. What was the initial reaction when people came in? They're used to seeing chicken and obstetus here on the pig's back you've got uh, quiches and all that kind of thing and a bit of beef around the corner when people saw sushi what did they say they said great i mean i think by the time i arrived here a lot of people were aware about sushi and it's kind of become into ireland really in the last five to ten years so it wasn't totally new to them but it was new to other people and i had to kind of educate them about sushi and yeah, it's been totally fine, you know. Where do you get the ingredients for this? Do you, do you source some here in the market or do you have to import a lot of it? We get all our ingredients from the market. The fish um, comes from Pat O'Connell's and Ballycotton Seafood. We get all our salads, vegetables from Superfruit, Michael and Mary Corrigan down the end here. And we got our rice, seaweed, and vinegar from Mr. Bell's in the market as so well. The carbon footprint, at least for the bits that you're selling, is very low. It all comes from this building. I had to walk 20 steps there this morning to get my salmon and back, and that was it. Yeah, I didn't fly across the world to do it. So yeah, it's been so good. what? Like this is this is with passion, I'd imagine, for you because you've invested a lot of time, your money, you took the risk. Are you happy now? What nearly two years in with how it's gone? Yeah, I'm. I'm delighted. Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been hard work. It's um, it's tough work having your own business. I've actually a little baby at home as well, which doesn't help. But um, uh, he kind of gives me an inspiration to do it as well, you know. But it, it is hard work, but it it pays off as well, you know. So there were four generations of McNamara's here in the butchery trade. You have a son at home. Are you eyeing that far ahead? Oh, yeah, he's he's going to be the head chef here now in about 15, 20 years, hopefully. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be putting my feet up then, I'd say, yeah. Well, you most likely deserved, given the pace that you're working at now. Connor, great to meet you, thanks. And the best look, Mackey Sushi Rolls, uh, just opposite on the pig's back, kind of towards the fountain. Right in the middle of the market, yeah. Connor, pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks, Samson. All the best. Thank you. And Orla Lannan, that really sums up how the market can adapt and can change. I mean, Connor's a great guy with a product that may or may not have flown. The good thing is people are buying a sushi. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, Connor is a, you know, he's a pleasure as well to work with. And Connor's here nearly almost two years. Um, and he's, he's fitted in really well. And his product, while it's a bit different, it's still, it's still part of the market ethos. You know, raw food is what we specialize in. And that's how we're going to be that's what we continue to do in here is keep raw food. And 
you talk about the ethos. There really is an ethos with that. I, who dictates that? Is that dictated by the council who own the building, by the traders? Who comes up with the idea that this is a market, this is something not just to sell food in, but to be proud of? It's a combination, really, of, um, I suppose, Cork City Council, the Traders Committee, and myself, Aramark. Um, we literally, I mean, you see, we want to, we want to keep this a traditional food market. Um, we've seen what's happened with markets across Europe, the Bakuri, they've all been destroyed with hot food. Our ethos in here is to keep it raw, traditional food. Um, you know, this is, and I think this is what is making our market so, so special and so iconic, is that we've actually kept the market ethos. And it's a magnet for people, particularly tourists. I mean, just standing around here in the few minutes when I'm talking to you, lots of tourists have passed by. But it's not all tourists. There's ordinary people from Cork who are buying their dinner tonight. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's, I suppose there's such a mix. And a lot of people, you know, I see, I, I, like, I obviously recognise so many faces coming in. A lot of regular people come in here. A lot of them come in and they want to have the banter as well, but buy their produce at the same time. Um, you know, people have come in here because their mother shopped in here or their grandmother shopped in here. Um, and I suppose people do know it's, it's, it is the freshest produce. You know? um, we're going to talk to somebody who sells the freshest produce. Uh, and I did a double take pass in the stall earlier on. Who are we going to talk to now? Oh, uh, John Boiling. The Red Business Podcast with CompuB. Apple technology and solutions for your business. CompuB.com. So we've made it to Best Meats here in the market. And John Boiling is with me. You're the manager here, John. I am indeed. Right? Yeah, I run it with my, my twin brother here. Yeah, and I was just going to say, I, I nearly got confused there because you are literally the bulb off each other. Absolutely identical twin mirror images. And does that cause confusion on the stall? Um, it causes a bit of entertainment for people. I, I wouldn't say confusion. People seem to be amazed and, and, and very entertained by it. But you know, that's, we've had that all our lives. Yeah, you've kind of been together since the beginning, uh, to borrow uh, the I've phrase. Known, I've known him a few years. Yeah. yeah. And what's it like working with your twin brother? Because it's close proximity, really. Isn't oh, it? Uh, hell on earth. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> it's, um, it's fine. You know, they, they, actors say never work with children or animals. And I... You know, anyone in this business says never work with animals or family, and I get to do both. Yeah. So you know. <laughs> so wh- how did you get involved in this? Where, when did butchery begin? For you? Uh, dad, dad is a butcher all his life. He um, came over from London when he met mom, um, and he worked for various businesses here in the city: Five Star and Quinsworth and Barry Collins's. And then, forty-four years ago, uh, he had the opportunity here to take out a lease. And um, that's what he did. And he slowly expanded it into the size of the unit we have here now. But originally there was three units here. And he ran a single unit with four girls and himself um, back when there was a, biz- a business for butchers. Yeah, you know, it's changed an awful lot. And massively, the introduction of supermarkets, um, all the big name stores that everyone is so used to going to now, they didn't exist. They didn't exist really 20 years ago um, and now that they've come into life this traditional style of butchery is, is really is really suffering because of it you know but you're the next generation so what you do is you look at how you're going to compete with them and change how you do things so what are you doing to combat that yes well we're trying to keep traditional butchery alive because you won't find traditional butchers inside a supermarket counter so we're trying to keep the traditional butchers alive but also keep up with the pace of the new generation of shoppers and eaters. People change their habits. Like no one cooks the way their mommy or their daddy did, or the way their granny or their granddad did. You know, so what we have to do is we have to try and 
keep up with how people are feeding themselves, but then also try and re-educate them. You know, the newer generation think that cooking is a big palava and a big deal, but it's not. Cooking is really simple and, you know, you can give yourself really good healthy food every single day and it doesn't take time. It really doesn't take any length of time. And that's what we have to try and do. So the actual art really hasn't changed much, has it, in terms of what you do and how you present the no, food? A, a real properly trained butcher knows exactly how to do their job. Um, we know how to age an animal, we know how to cut an animal, we know how to treat an animal to get you a, a finished product that is, you can't find, you really can't find anywhere unless it's behind a real butcher's counter. And um, that's, you know, that's what we're keeping alive. There's a lot of, there's a, a fair few um, second or third generation butchers here in the market. And, you know, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to keep the art alive because it is an art. Tell me about what's next, though, because you said you have yourself and your brother here taking on from what your dad did. Um, what's the next step? How do you keep this going for another generation? Um, like that, we need to we need to follow and keep pace with what our customers are demanding of us. So, I suppose as the generations grow and as technology grows, people are watching the celebrity chefs and their fantastic dishes and they're looking that for that then when they come to the butcher counter and they want to know how can I produce what you know Gordon Ramsay or, or uh, Jamie Oliver or someone is producing on TV and that's what we need to be able to, to teach them. I love telling people how to, to cook a, a beautiful meal when it comes to advice on how to cook it or what to add into a dish or how long to cook it. I love that. Let's take the prime example so a good bit of steak a bit of fillet steak tell me how to cook that uh, well look fillet steak is 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 beautiful no one can deny fillet steak is beautiful but there are more there's more character in other steak so like fillet steak is soft it's tender there's lovely flavor to it but if you want something that's a bit more flavorsome you move down the animal you move to your t-bone your ribeye ribeye is a massively popular where, steak where did moment. ribeye come from is that it fell out really and we didn't have ribeye in the no, 80s we didn't we had ribeye we had in the 80s as our sunday roast or rib roast, oh, yeah. but or or American cousins and or TV chefs while they were visiting the huge um, steakhouses in America, ribeye was you know a prime cut. It was the oh we can charge this guy sixty dollars for a, a steak cut. Now, because it's got so popular, it's not that way anymore. Yeah, you know a ribeye is just the same price and just as good value as any other cut of of steak out there. And how would you cook your ribeye? Oh, me personally, uh, I probably kind of make some people cringe. I still like my steak pink. You know, okay, not mooing, but pink, you know. Um, so I'd only cook my steak for maybe three or four minutes aside, just to get the heat through it, just to take that raw edge out of it, and it's, it's good for me. Garlic butter, pepper sauce, um, anything on top? A bit of salt and pepper. Meat should, meat should really stand for its, itself. You know, it doesn't need lots of flavorings poured all over it to hide the flavor. Real good meat that's been hung properly by your butcher, that's come from a really good farm, it's slaughtered properly. There should be flavor. That, that piece of meat should absolutely make your mouth water. On its own, without adding anything to it. I'm just conscious there's people queuing at your, at your stand behind us. We never mentioned the brother's name, by the way. Do we need to put um, that in the public oh domain? Oh, Jesus. Um, no, we'll leave it off. We'll, we'll, we'll call him uh, Tyrion. <laughs> he's, 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 he's Tyrion to my Jamie Lannister, you know? Uh, no, joking. His name is Paul. I leave you go back to your customers. John, John Boylan, pleasure to meet you. Pleasure to meet you. Thank you very much.
So John and Paul Boiling uh, running that stall, and we've heard two families now, family traditions. How big is family here, Orla, for all these people? Oh, it's 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 huge. I mean, that's what that's what adds to the market as well. It's all family tradition. I mean, I suppose the majority of stallholders in here um, would all have family traditions. You really don't have to market this too hard, do you? Because every time a film crew comes to Cork, they'll want to come in and they'll want to film here. And you did have the small matter of the visit of the Queen. Were you here at that time? I wasn't, no. Oh, I, you missed I the Queen? I missed, I missed, I missed the Queen. You'll I have to bring her back. It's, you've had plenty of other visitors since, haven't you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, like I said, you know, yeah, we don't need to really market, but in saying that, um, it's more controlling is, is, is what we have to do at the moment between tour groups and filming groups and, you know, people that want to have events. So it's, it's almost like another job. Um, you have to kind of police all of, police all of these events. And manage them. And manage them. And keep the place open. Absolutely. And keep the traders happy. Absolutely. And balance everything. You have to try, everything has to be balanced. Keep everybody happy. That's a hard job. How many many traders again? (laughs) Uh, 46. 46. An easy bunch to manage, I'd say. Oh, absolutely not a bother (laughs) to me. But but that publicity, that self-driving publicity, means that the market has longevity. And, you know, there's never a talk, thankfully, and I I touch the fountain because we don't have wood, that, that... of the market not succeeding I'm not, I'm not going on but that's is, is that always a fear that you have that maybe like those other markets it might not succeed well i think if we if we if we continue working hard at preserving our ethos and also you know preserving the building i mean we have to remember the building is 230 years old so you can imagine the maintenance that's required for the building as well so literally it's a it's a combination of really you know working with i suppose the city council and the traders and I mean, we all want to keep this market thriving. Um, you know, we're constantly doing refurbishments. I mean, the traders over the last year and a half, the amount of traders that have actually refurbished their units, it's amazing. It's really, really brightened up the market. It looks amazing. We recently refurbished our Grand Parade entrance and it looks amazing. Um, so we're, like, we're, doing, we're, we're working on it all the time. A constant work, a 230 year work in progress. That's it, absolutely. And, and for who years for the next 230 years? Orla, we have to finish up our conversation here now because I want to go and talk to a man that people automatically think of when they think of the English market. But thank you and all the traders for talking to us in Red Business today. Not at all. You're very welcome, my pleasure. The Red Business Podcast with CompuB. Building your business with premium Apple solutions. CompuB.com. Pat O'Connell, how are you? I'm excellent, Jonathan Healy, and you? I'm very well. Lovely to meet you in your native environment here at K. Yes. O'Connell's food stall. My wife says my home. Your home, yeah. <laughs> Tell me about the first time you remember being here at your mother's stall. That's going back a bit, Jonathan. <laughs> I won't ask how many years. But I'm actually in the market since I was four. Um, yes, because way back then there were two fish auctions in Cork. There was one down in Alfred Street. And there was one over in St. Peter's Market, over in Corn Market Street. So the idea was you went to the auction before you opened up here in the market. At the time, there was probably about 16 fish stalls in here. Um, and probably five or six fish shops out on the streets. Biddy Williams, Queens, Martells. They were all in business in, in, in the city at the time. So you'd go to the auction at 7 o'clock in the morning, buy the fish, bring it back to your premises, sell it, and do the same next morning. So Kathleen used to bring little Pat along to the auction and then he'd head off up to school when the auction was over. So you learned your trade quite quickly. You probably learned how to do maths a lot faster than those around you. Probably more than most, yeah. <laughs> how long had Kathleen been in that trade? I mean, was, was being a fishmonger always the family business? She actually started, 
Okay, her background was from a pub. They had a pub over in Mary Street. Um, and when she was about 19-ish, 20, her mother thought it would be a good idea to have a shop in George's Key doing in veg. So that's what she started doing, veg. Um, but then there were little boats who used to actually come up the river at that stage with salmon and flounders and all of this. So Kathleen started selling a bit of fish. She always had that business mentality. So she started selling a bit of fish on Friday. Um, but then when she got married, the shop kind of just was closed up basically. Um, so a woman in business at that time probably would have been more challenging. Exactly, much more challenging. But So she got a job here in the market working for McCarthy's who had a fish stall above on top here. Um, and after four or five years the stall became vacant, which at the time wasn't actually done. You're, you're really right when you say that. For a woman in those days it was a very different kettle of fish, excuse the pun. Um, like, it wasn't expected that she would take on a stall on her own. But Kathleen being Kathleen and having a very business brain, she, she decided, let's go for it, and she did. And at what point did you decide, right, this is for me, and I think I can make a career out of this as Mam did? Not many years later, actually, Jonathan. Paul came in here before I came in. So was Paul my was younger brother. Yeah. yeah um, I think they thought I had a bit of a brain or something, but they sent me to college, which was lunacy, because I was always going to come back in here anyway. Um, so I went to CIT doing business studies for three years, and then I went to work in City Council for three years, um, and decided this is not what I want to do, and, and came back into the fish business, and the rest is history. The rest is history. And do you live... You, know, you made the joke that your wife says this is your home. Do you live, sleep breathe this trade? I suppose like anybody working their own business, Jonathan, that kind of goes with the territory. It's particularly true when it comes to a fresh food business. Um, we're very dependent on weather, we're very dependent on, on, on seasons. So the fish trade, I suppose, particularly is very much hands-on. You build up a kind of rapport with your customers where they trust you and don't kind of trust anybody else. So they want to see you behind the counter all the time which makes it a little bit difficult, yes, because it is a really personal trade and we have built up a very family-oriented personal business over the last 50-odd years. It's what we do, um, so people do expect to see us here. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And over that time, Pat, how has the market changed? Not just this physical market, but the actual market, the consumer tastes and people's demands. Like the stall you have out set up behind us is immaculate colourful, vibrant. Was it always thus or have you picked up a few little bits along the way? It's funny actually when you're moving along you don't take notice of the changes but then you look at a photograph from 1963 or 4 and you say oh my god did we actually sell fish in those conditions? Um, and when we were getting this stall done up seven, eight months ago we actually put something like what was the original counter into our filleting board and our filleting room on top um, and that has just a plain slab, no refrigeration. It had a whiteboard tile front like Kathleen had. Um, and I mean, my mother, because they hadn't money, they had nothing, she bought a second-hand table to start off with when she got the stall. Um, my dad put a marble top on it because we had relations who were in the headstone business, so we got a marble off of them. Yeah, this <laughs> is how tough times Fi were. Very fitting for the fish. Very fitting for the fish. Um, and he got a drain off that was in the back of the house and put that in the front of the, the stall to take the water away. And that's how we started. And, and Kathleen loved her wallpaper on the back wall, so she'd always have wallpaper on the wallpaper. back wall. Yeah. And we had a thermocadam floor, 
no refrigeration. We'd get a few boxes of ice over North Sullivan is over by where the Mercy Hospital is now. And that was cold it. Store. And that was it. And and now it's all about display and making the fish look attractive and pretty. And now I reckon we've got as good as any place in the world, I'll be honest, Jonathan. And that's not just because it's us, but that is the market as, as a whole. I mean, the standard that is in the market now in Cork, particularly, I think, in the last 10, 15 years, has, has come on in leaps and bounds. Like, the selection of foods there, and, you know, you asked about the market, and the market has changed hugely because we now have so many nationalities working in places like Apple, you know, EMC, Facebook coming on the Grand Parade next to us, and they bring people from all over Europe and all over the world, and they're looking for different types of fish, they have a different palate for fish, and you're trying to kind of widen your range, and I mean, we probably do 50 different types of fish now. Back in the day, it was probably, t I suppose, 10 realistically. So you do 50 types of fish, you have to be an expert on how each of them is filleted, cooked, before you sell anything. You have to be a good bluffer. <laughs> I, I would never have accused you of that, Pat O'Connor. That would be the last thing I'd accuse you of. But is that, is that after improving the business, that you have that mo more selection now and more inquisitive minds coming up and asking, do you have fish X? Look, people come from all over the world and they come to the English market and they say, wow, we would love to have this back home. There was a time when we'd go abroad and we'd say, well, we would love to have this they back did ha home. They did, have these. they did have these. These markets did exist and they, they were exist, around the world. They but they, And as, we, as we've heard uh, earlier on from Orla, a lot of them have closed because they started selling hot food as opposed to cold food and fresh food. It's a constant discussion in the market in here because like some of us, I suppose, we would be of the traditional view that, you know, we're good at what we do. We're busy because of what we do. We are inviting tourists in here because of what we do. It's not because of what we can give them because tourists don't really buy off us. Um, you go to markets abroad and what they've done is they've tried to cater for the tourist. But in catering for the tourist, they've lost their soul, if I can put it that way. Um, I was talking to Neil on the Neil Brandeville show the other day and we were talking about you mentioned the market because I, I, I'd use the phrase money holes to talk about somebody else and I said it was coming here. I said, oh, well, there might be some money holes in the market. Aren't there money holes in the market, Pat? No. <laughs> Everybody here is happy. Everybody is here happy. Um, look, there's 44 traders there. All shapes, sizes, breeds, cultures, different traditions. Um, they can be interesting traders meetings, yes. Uh, quite interesting on occasion. I, ha I happen to have the privilege of being chairman of the traders for three years, I think. Interesting. But it adds the colour, doesn't it? But it, this is what the market is about. This is where the buzz is. This is, you know, if we were all the same, it would be a very boring market. Um, and we all add our little bit and, and you know, it, it works, obviously. I know your mum passed away a few years ago. Um, what do you think she'd make of it now? Of what you've done, the business you've set up, the fact that you, I, and maybe people hadn't heard this, but you met the Queen. Do you think she'd be blown away by how much things have changed? I don't think she'd been blown away because I think she trained us really well. We, were, we learned an awful lot from Kathleen. She was a very special lady. There was no doubt about that. Um, incredible businesswoman. Um, you know, taught us the value of a pound or a euro. Um, brought us to Castle Lumber to buy fish. You know, there wasn't much that we didn't learn in life that we didn't learn from Kathleen. Um, and I think she knew that. I think she was very much aware of that. I think she was very proud of the two of us. Even before she died, I think she kind of thought that, yeah, she was leaving it to save hands. I hope I've delivered what she'd have wanted. I think she'd be proud. Just looking at the stall now and how, how it's set out and the work that yourself and Paul have done, she'd be proud. I would hope so. I would hope so. She was an incredible mother and, I mean, you know... <laughs> 
look, she started with nothing. Um, she built up a fantastic business, you know. The least we could do was try and keep that business going and keep that, you know, ethos of what she was about. Um, because she was a very ordinary woman behind it all, great for chat, great for fun, loved life, loved her holidays, loved what she did. And I suppose we've inherited that and we have that same passion, so that's all good. Pat, it's been a brilliant tour around the market meeting you and your fellow traders. Thank you very much for facilitating us here and bringing us on the tour in Red Business. Always a privilege and a pleasure. My thanks to everyone at the English market for making us feel so welcome. And as always, thanks to Niamh Hennessy for helping put this programme together. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and you can email us with your stories. Redbusiness at redfm.ie We look forward to hearing from you and we'll catch you on the next one.